countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Now time for more of The Last Comic Shop. Where we open up the shop to newbies to help them find their way under the big comic book tent. Okay, come in. We've got some long boxes. Throwing them open. Got lots of stuff. That's right. And we have some stuff that even the oldies might not be aware of. So we're trying to help those guys level up by, you know... Reading and talking about interesting comic books and stuff. And I'm the host with the most, as always, Andy Larson. I'm joined by Jay Scott and Chad Smith. And on today's program, again, keeping the kind of common theme around this uh, Halloween season. It's all kinds of creepy, eerie books. Monsters. Ooh, and we've got some monsters on today's program. Maybe not the monsters you might think of, though, as we get into that review later on. But it is... A tremendous book written by Emil Ferris, an Eisner Award-winning tome. It is My Favorite Thing is Monsters. It's a book I've wanted to read on this particular show for a long, long time, just simply because I feel like the art, unlike anything out there, I'll I'll gush on it later on the show, but it's just something else. You have to read it just for this art. Right. Nothing we say will do the art justice. You really have to, to check it out. But that's actually where I wanted to start, Andy, is because you're the one who exposed me to this book. And so I'm curious, when it comes to independent books, sometimes it can be really hard to sift through all the different stuff that's out there. And I'm curious, like, how do you guys find your independent stuff? Like it's, it's, I don't know with superhero things. I feel like they're usually advertised in front and center. And, you know, uh, when you go to the comic shop, you know, what's going on in the superhero universe, but with the independents, there's things that can come out of nowhere. And like, what makes you pick up a book versus something else that you might just leave sitting on the shelf? Well, I, I will say that traditionally for me, it's always been about the artwork. Usually the artwork in some way has to grab me, uh, right from the start. And, uh, if I see something that I, think is, ooh, that's interesting, or ooh, that's um, a little bit off the beaten path. I'm, I'm going to go for it. Uh, a bunch of books that I can recommend that kind of have artistic styles like that. Not only, again, this My Favorite Thing is Monsters, which first grabbed my eye at a free comic book day when they put out like kind of like a teaser uh, version of this that you could pick up for free. That's, again, I was like, oh, geez, this, this art is tremendous. I started flipping through it during free comic book day, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to get this book. But in addition to that, like, I, I think back to um, when I read Kyle Starks's um, Big Rock Candy Mountain, and that has right. such an interesting art style. And that was one that grabbed me from just seeing it among all the other comic books in the row. Like, I was like, that's interesting cartooning. I want to see what that's about. That's why I like Ed Pisker. That's why I like uh, a lot of folks that I've, I've recommended as independent books in the past. It, there has to be something that, that catches me. Okay. Um, and I... I just want to chime in. A lot of those names you've mentioned, a lot of the books you've talked about, also tend to show up uh, in the award seasons for things like Eisner or Harvey Awards. So I know that's always an option, too, to go back and see what won this year and to give you an idea of, of stuff to check out, or at least for me. But Jay, what about you? What, what draws you to a book? I primarily read comic books digitally. So right. uh, I think Comixology does a really good job at showing a bunch of different stuff like not just capes and cowls they do you know you can go by obviously by genre and whatnot but they always have like a a featured section or uh you know what's trending and it's always got a nice little mix of some independent books obviously there's a lot of marvel and dc stuff valiant and whatnot but i like to you know one day you know i'm just scrolling through comiXology looking for something to read and if you've got the unlimited account you know a lot of older stuff is free and i know that like amazon is getting rid of the website and they're redoing it it's supposed to make it even better so i'm looking forward to the changes coming to comiXology but there you go that's a great resource yeah for me i it's tough because like comic books are an investment they can be pretty costly and when you're looking at things that sometimes are appearing as original graphic novels, like you're, you're dropping 30, 40 bucks for something that you might not know about. But for me, I, I tend to follow creators. 
people like the Ed Brubakers or Robert Kirkman and Chris Somney have that firepower book coming out of Image right now. Like Mark Russell, he's a great writer whose name always seems to pop up with these independent companies. Your Aftershocks or your Vault Comics or places like that. But um, And then I also rely a lot on, on word of mouth, I guess, just paying attention to, to what's happening on Twitter or you know, in the comic shops or things like that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because with the superhero and the Marvel and the DC and the more mainstream stuff, even the, the experimental versions of that, I feel like the risk is a little bit lesser as that's gone through a more professional filter. And with independent stuff, sometimes you can strike gold like this book we're going to talk about today. Um, and then sometimes you pick something up and like you plunk down your four bucks. Wait a minute. This is not a fish product. And that is why you owe it to yourself to always listen to the last comic show podcast. Because when we review independent books, which we like to do, uh, you know, fairly regularly, we make sure that we uh, we give you the good four one one on them. Absolutely. Not only that, but we oftentimes give you a, a bunch of other recommendations. An interesting kind of side note to this whole conversation of how I find independent books. It actually dovetails with my uh, recommendation that will be in later in the show, uh, a book called El Defo by C.C. Bell. And uh, I actually found that because I had taken my kids to the library. And one of the things I've done in recent years is look over the graphic novels in the young adults section of the library. Because I really feel like, you know, I've said it on this show many, many times that comic books should be primarily written for for kids you know people between the ages of 8 and 16 that has always been the bread and butter of the comic book industry you catch them when they're young and they're going to be comic book fans for a long time and so it's always wonderful to go and look and see what folks are putting out for our youngins and you'll find that there's some really really interesting stuff you know, again, not only the book I'll be recommended today, but I also found great stuff from Nathan Hale. Like, there's a great book called One Trick Pony, which is all kind of sci-fi and futuristic. And he's got that other whole series, I think they call it Hazardous Tales, which is all interesting about American history and things like that. You know, I, I was there the other day, and what did I find? But Action Presidents by Fred Van Lenty and Ryan Dunleavy. <laughs> so, like... Again, you go to your, your those that, that young adult section, and you're going to see a lot of names that we talk about here on The Last Comic Shop, and they're putting out stuff for kids. It, it's like an untapped market, and, it, and it's something that should be applauded. So if you ever have a chance, just go to your library. I'm sure you'll find something that, again, fits one of my criteria. Interesting art, interesting ideas. It's experimental, but it's wonderful. Right. And the young adult book market, if you talk to anybody in the, the book business, that's what's driving things these days. Whether it's comic books, and you'll see DC shift to more of that style and format, even with some of their mainstream superhero books. You get, you know, a Harley Quinn graphic novel or that Superman versus the Klan, but they're all trying to get that dog man money. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. That dog man money is, that's huge. I, I that's where know. the growth is. Right. I think if you were to ask kids of that age which character they would gravitate more towards, Spider-Man, Superman, or Dogman, half of them would probably say Dogman without a, you know, blinking an eye. Because, like, my son, he waits in line for the next Dogman book. Like, he waits. And the moment it comes out, I gotta grab it. Like, that's the kind well, it's of... That's good stuff. Yeah. That's good stuff. It's fun. That's, that's, but that's the fervor that you need among young folks for the, the comic book medium. That's the kind of thing that I hope will kind of eventually make its way over into the mainstream uh, comic books or other indies. You know, it's great stuff out there. And speaking of great stuff, we've got a great book on today's program. My favorite thing is monsters, and we'll get to that review right after these commercial breaks. So stay tuned. Do you ever find yourself sitting on the couch late at night wondering, what should I watch? Aimlessly flipping through streaming services, pondering as you let your cursor settle over a title, but you just can't bring yourself to commit and push play. Well, guess what? We do that, and we made a podcast about it. Because everybody makes podcasts, but we decided to make ours about movies. I'm Kay. I'm E. 
And together we start a journey through cinema where we watch a movie, sit down, discuss it, debate it, test each other's knowledge of it, and then give our final seal of approval or disapproval. Yeah. So join us as we try to search the infinite web, attempting to answer the age-old question, what should we watch? So check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and drop us a comment. Let us know what you think, and we'll have some interactive portions where you can join the fun. So pop some popcorn, pop some wine, and join us, won't you? All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time to get to our read pile review of My Favorite Thing is Monsters by Emil Ferris. This book was put out by Fantagraphics, uh, and very similar to another Monsters book we reviewed earlier this year when we did Monsters by Barry Windsor Smith. Uh, I guess Fantagraphics does enjoy their monsters, but I will say that... As we'll get to in my review, this has a lot of similarities in terms of artistic genius. Let me just say that. And um, terribility. There's lots of terrible stuff in this room. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, one of the interesting things about uh, this particular book is how it eventually got to Fantagraphics, I guess. And I think J.A. can add a little color to that in addition to the 10 cent synopsis. Yeah, so, well, when she originally made the book she was working with this chinese publishing house and they had bound them they had printed them they had shipped them and then they ran out of money mm. they like you know went bankrupt and so the shipping got stuck in the panama canal mm. i think it got impounded in the panama canal uh, for you know lack of payment or whatnot so it was you know, never to see the light of day. And then Fantagraphics picked it up and republished it and put it out there. So my question, and I haven't been able to find anything on this, is are those original ones still floating around somewhere? Are they like in a <laughs> warehouse down in Panama somewhere? <laughs> Somebody's going to just break in. I need all the original copies of my favorite thing is monsters. Give them yeah, to what me. What do you do if you impound a book that's never actually published? Like, what do you do with that stuff? Yeah. Is there a black market for... They, they destroy it at some point. Well, I, I, I hope they don't. I hope that they're still sitting out there and someday, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, they'll have to get the, the Staff of Rye and open up some shipping container and be like, oh, and lo and behold, there were all the copies of the original My Favorite Thing is Monsters. So. It's, it's, like when the, it's like when they find those like warehouse finds and it's got all these <laughs> ori- still in their original box first ibm pc computers there you go or like when we find omnibuses that are all absolutely but uh again jay what is the 10 cent synopsis for my favorite thing is monsters it's very much a coming of age story that focuses on karen who's 12 13 years old pre-teenish i think in 1960s chicago and uh, she's living in a basement apartment and one of her neighbors dies in suspicious circumstances and she takes it upon herself to kind of figure out who done it and she's also a massive fan of like late night monster movies on tv so she always is depicting herself and seeing herself in her mind as a like a half werewolf cub it goes back in time a bit. This neighbor who died was a Jew and was put into a concentration camp, how she was able to escape from the concentration camp. And uh, then it talks about her brother and her mom gets cancer and dies and how they're dealing with that. Martin Luther King Jr. dies during this. Is Obviously, the Chicago riots, when that happened, are addressed a little bit, too. She comes out to her brother at one point so she's dealing with her burgeoning sexuality she comes out as lesbian so i mean there's some very heavy topics going on uh while she's trying to figure out if her neighbor was killed the only thing i would add to that jay it's it's not just werewolf it's werewolf detective she has the hat and the trench coat yes she's she's a wolf cop not not a cap wolf (laughs) but no i as one of my you know, initial thoughts of this particular series, and again, why I wanted to talk about it so much on today's program is, I mean, again, there's a reason why this particular book won 
Best Graphic Novel and Best Writer and Artist and Best Coloring at the 2018 Eisner Awards. It was also actually, believe it or not, nominated for a Hugo Award for Best Graphic Novel in 2018 as well. I just got to take a moment, just heap mountains of praise on on this gorgeous artwork. I think that's the first thing I got to talk about, because I think that's the elephant in the room for me, is the reason why you read this book is because of this artwork, which is, again, done as if you have a 12, 13-year-old girl drawing in a notebook with a ballpoint pen. And so it kind of has that same feeling that you would get from certain movies that are kind of like that found footage kind of stuff in which you're actually really getting biographical feeling from this whole book because you're you feel like you found this notebook on the bus and all of her writings and her drawings, you know, not only depicts herself, but her entire universe. And some of those he has, she has an older brother who takes her to the art museums there in Chicago. And she, with a ballpoint pen recreates like some of these gorgeous works of art that you would find in, in major museums. And it throws the complete like panel grid design of, traditional comics out the window you get a lot of full page spreads with very small pictures the text is sometimes in the margins or around the picture which i always thought was really interesting so yeah i mean guys from an artistic perspective have you ever seen a book like this so for me i there are a couple of things to unpack there one you you talk about how this is like finding a notebook this is not like finding somebody's notebook. This is not something your average run-of-the-mill human being is able to create like with the level of detail. And you talked about when they go to museums and they Emile Ferris, she's recreating uh, these museum-level paintings with ballpoint pens, like big pens. So you have that element of like, yeah, we write in notebooks with big pens, but this is it's it's an artistic tour de force. That, like I said, nothing we can say is going to bring do justice to this artwork. But another level on top of that that that, that I found out uh, recently was that Emil Ferris was paralyzed from West Nile virus, and that she was creating this book as she was reteaching herself how to draw. And it's like, holy cannoli! So that like you're adding factors on factors, and like. The, the end product is just so beautiful, and there are times where it's, it's photorealistic, and then other times where you have those elements of cartooning and design. And as you said, she really plays with the, the structures and how comic books are made, where it's not just panels. Panels might show up every now and again, but so much of it is just one image bleeding into another. It is a thing of beauty, meanwhile tackling a lot of pretty pretty dark stuff i I jokingly mentioned the the terribility it's it's all this grotesque stuff about humanity it's so beautiful art wise it's such a juxtaposition that you don't want to look away yeah for people who haven't seen it and don't quite understand essentially what they did is they took lined paper and you can see the spiral bound on you know the left side or the right side depending on what side of the page you're on with holes in it, three punch holes, and it's made to look like it is a spiral-bound notebook. She had, like, you know, one of those pens that you had the different color inks you could slide <laughs> down, the red or the blue or the green. I love those. Clicky one. She had, like, obviously a multi, one of those super big ones. <laughs> Everyone's gushing about the art. The art really, it, it's what drives the book. It, it and, and I think... It, you almost need it at the beginning because it starts very slow. If I went to nitpick and, and, you know, kind of think, I thought the story took a while to get up to speed. But then once it's up to speed, it becomes a very, you know, it's a page turner. But the first 50 to 100 pages do just kind of develop a little bit slow. Like, what's going on? Why do I care? I'm in Chicago. It's the 60s. Oh, everyone looks like a vampire or a werewolf but it's not really a fun ghost story thing. But once she really sort of gets into investigating the death, and I thought what really gave the whole thing impetus was the, th- the flashback story 
Because mm-hmm. until you get the flashback story, you don't really care that this woman died. You don't have anything invested in her. Yeah. It's just it's just a plot point. Oh, she's dead. But once you hear about this woman's story, her life story, then now, now you're invested. Now you want to know how did she die? Why did she die? What happened? Who killed her? Uh, it, it's suddenly much more interesting. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, both of you in terms of, again, this being a dark story that takes a little while to get up and running. Again, similar to, I keep on saying it, the Monsters book that we reviewed earlier this year, which is still available out on uh, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. Uh, make sure that you go check that episode out by with the Barry Windsor Smith art. But did that review, Chad commented like, uh, all these horrible things that Barry Windsor Smith was was talking about in Monsters. And I, I feel like, I don't know, is this like a foot race between these two books as to how many terrible things we can cram into 400-some pages? Because, like, you've got, you know, sexual slavery. You've got attempted rape on schoolyards. You've got human sacrifice. You've got drug addiction, intense poverty. And that's not counting the additional scenes of, you know, Jewish people being rounded up and being sent to concentration camps. Yeah, don't like, forget your Nazis. You gotta have your Nazis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, I guess, yeah. you know, there are so many parallels between these two books that, you know, if you're a comic book fan and you've read one or the other because of our show, I feel like you owe it to yourself to now read both so that you can say, like, oh, this is what Monsters did. This is what my favorite thing is Monsters did. They both have monsters in the title, so it's really easy to keep track of them. But um, this is a narrative that, that kind of goes for that jugular and does so with art that really can just unsettle you. Uh, there's a great, like, I, I think it's like almost like a two-panel spread in here where when the, 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 the Jewish people are being offloaded from the rail cars and they're, they're going through this, this town, you know, some people are trying to maintain morale by saying, oh, this isn't not going to be bad. They're not going to do anything to us or whatever. And she walks by this bakery that's like filled with like these plaster cake and there's like rats everywhere. In this, and, and she's like, yeah, this is no good. We're all going to die. For me, that was so <laughs> creepy that I actually had to put down the book and just like kind of walk away for a few seconds because I was just like, that's just a creepy image. All done in ballpoint pen. All done these racks with these giant teeth and gnashing and like climbing around on cakes. I'm like, ah, I don't want to see this. And like there's pages all throughout with this kind of imagery. Was there an image that particularly grabbed you guys? What I really enjoyed was the recreation of these like classic horror comic book covers that she would intersplice, you know, almost to break up scenes or whatnot. So she would use like horrific and it's this purple devil thing with a tongue and his tongue's out. And there's, you know, a big buxom brunette woman sitting on the tongue and, you know, playing with all these like pre-code horror movie tropes. Just and all done again with the really intricate cross hatching, and also because most of the book is black and white with you know a judicious use of color here and there to pop a scene, but all of these covers are just like you know riot of color, but again not painted in color, but color by using different colored pens to do the cross hatching. No, it's crazy and. I'll go back to those paintings. Anytime you had one of those museum level paintings, it is incredible to me that a human being could sit down and do that thing with ballpoint pens. Like Bic pens are not forgiving in any way, shape or form. And to create things with that level of detail, with that level of focus. But, uh, but boy, this book is one I, I look at it and I feel like I need to learn more to truly understand all that's going on in this book. Uh, Mil Ferris is she's pulled tools out of every tool belt. You know, you have some characters. The the one character Vanka, she's always blue, like no matter what scene she's in, and like there are all sorts of like subtle artistic notes in this story that I'm sure there's more that I'm not picking up on. And I just feel like this is so complex and so densely layered that this is my second time going through this. And like, every time I feel like, Oh, how much more am I leaving on the table that I, that I haven't noticed because there's so much here. Sure. Believe it or not, this is actually supposed to be only book one Mm -hmm. of a continued series telling the story, which 
Uh, for those folks that might be reading this, if you feel like you're going to get any answers as to how this Annika died or whatever, you're not. Uh, you're not even going to get a, her entire story. Uh, you get up to a certain point where she decides to escape from the concentration camp that she's going to set up basically a brothel for some rich German higher up or something like that. And, and that's really where it ends. Like, you don't get anything more from that. You don't find out who who, who ended up killing her. You don't find out pretty much anything. Uh, the only thing of really you know, interest that kind of has a conclusion at the end of this book is kind of the life story of her mother. Her mother is kind of one of the more genuinely nice character. Like, that's the one thing I can say about the mother. They, You know, you go throughout this entire book and everybody has nice things to say about her mother. Kind of interesting in the fact that she has all these, like, superstitions and things like that. And it's kind of neat to read about those. To have her story about how she unfortunately it gets cancer and, and, and passes away at the end. And the, the effect on both the, the young teenage girl, but also her older brother who has really stepped into kind of like, almost like the father figure for the younger girl. Yeah. Um, but he's got his issues too. Right. Don't forget about that. Yeah. And, and everybody's and a monster in here in some way, shape or form. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because if you think that the title of the book my favorite thing is monsters talking about how she likes, you know, horror movies. That kind of sort of has something to do with it. But really, my favorite thing is monsters is, is telling the story about how there are monsters in real life and that everybody is kind of sort of a monster in some way, shape or form, except for the mom. I'm gonna, not going to say <laughs> she never draws her mom like a monster in this book. She's always a, a wonderful beacon of hope for everybody involved there. I think that's the key point. That's the only conclusion you're, you're going to get in this. Everything else is like, stay tuned for book two. I mean, um, to, to piggyback off of that, I, I think this is a you know the hero's quest. I, I think this book is all about. You want to go back to a one page. There's one page where we see the main character Karen, not as a wolf cop, but as, as a little girl. And I I read this where she's a little bit younger than I think you guys are are putting her as. But like, there's one page where she accepts herself. Her brother's standing behind her and be like, see things how they really are type of situation. And she's mad at him. She doesn't want to accept these things. You know, to pick your brain just a little bit more, Chad, you're, you're a huge fan of coming-of-age stories. And this is one of those coming-of-age stories. How does this kind of compare to other coming-of-age stories you've read? The easiest comparison would be with the Barry Windsor Smith's uh, monster story that we we talked about already. And I think they're both great, but if I had to choose between the two, I would choose this every time. I can't wait for the next chapter. I My only complaint about this is that it is incomplete, that there's more story that we haven't gotten, and you get to the end of that, and you're like, I've put all this time in, and like, I want more now, please. And it's very hard to be patient. Aww. Took her six years to do the original, so <laughs> yeah. buckle up. <laughs> I know. So I, 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 volume two is supposed to be out soon, correct? Yes. I mean, yeah, they've been teasing it for quite some time. I think there's been some delays due to COVID, but um, yeah, I've I've had it on my uh, my wish list since I picked up the original two years ago, and uh, I'm still hoping that it's that that volume two or that book two is going to be coming out soon. Again, every single time I've read it, I've paid a little more attention to the plot. I think the third time I read it, I was like. This is really incomplete. There's a lot of stuff I don't get in this. What about the character of her brother, J.A.? What did you think of Dee's? Dee's is a very complex character throughout this entire book. Uh, yeah, sometimes I, even is uh, even more complex than Karen, to be honest, because you don't get his story. You get, you know, her view of Dee's. Yeah, he's a weird character because you don't know. Is he a drug dealer? Is he a pimp? Is he a prostitute? He's obviously... Uh, a bit of a lecherous individual that is going around and having sex with all these different women and not worried when his baby sister, who I looked it up, she's 10 in this book. Okay. When his 10 year old sister walks in on him, you know, in flagrante. <laughs> and, and then by the end, you find out that he killed a twin brother. That, that Victor. Karen never knew about. That's it. You don't have 
any backstory on that yet, or I think that alludes to what what we're going to get in in volume two is like who's Victor? How does he fit in? He he's obviously a twin, uh, but what happened to him? What happened to the father? Yeah, the Invisible Man. Because this this father is like he he's almost like a MacGuffin at times because everything seems to have kind of sprouted from that the, you know the way that D's acts towards Annika the the, the whole family dynamics is because yeah. of this father not being in the picture there's a mob boss that owns their apartment building what part does he play and did he play a part in like what happened before because like it seems like he's like taking care of Karen's mom you know making sure that she has a job and stuff like that but he, she's also doing weird things like cleaning up blood in one scene like <laughs> And then, there's, and then a lot there's, of the, there's the there's the house across the street where the guy is spying on them and has been right. for Sal, years. Sally. Yeah, yeah, before she was born. Right. Cuz he was like, you know, oh my gosh, you didn't you didn't know about your twin brother like all this stuff and you're right, it's very incomplete. It is a it is the first chapter of a murder mystery that is at least 3 books. Like I got to think, like this is like a good first chapter there's got to be at least two more acts to this play before we see exactly what happens so again can't wait for book two i guess and what you can't wait for is more last comic shop we'll be getting to our rating right after these commercial breaks so stay tuned for that welcome to victims and villains this is the channel where we talk nerd we talk hope and we speak nothing else i'm your host captain nostalgia and i'm so glad that you're here to join us victims and villains is a podcast and youtube channel that marries pop culture and suicide prevention producing content with the intent to let people know that there is hope and that there is a better way and that each and every listener has value and worth Listen to Victims and Villains on your favorite podcast catcher or on YouTube by searching for Victims and Villains. Also, check out their website, victimsandvillains.net. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our ratings. Are we going to be monstrous with My Favorite Thing is Monstrous? Or are we going to be grateful that we were given such a tremendous, tremendous artistic tour de force in this particular book? Uh, as always, J.A. Scott likes to give us a one out of four scale so that we can rate our book appropriately. And uh, J.A., what is our rating scale for this week? It's appropriately ballpoint pen. All right. I thought you were going to go with werewolves. That would have been a much easier sound effect to do. But I'll do ballpoint pens. It's fine. I think it's the same sound effect that I used <laughs> for the Barry Windsor Smith uh, show, Monsters. So it works. Go back and listen to that show again. All right, we'll start off with uh, Chad because, again, you know, it's always wonderful because Chad recommends so many books for me. I, I, I hate to say it, but when it comes to indie books, Chad's often my, my in uh, so for me to give one to him and, and him be like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad. Yeah, no, this is great. I hate it. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's all those things together at the same time. It's frustratingly incomplete. I want to know more. Uh, I'm wrapped up in this story. But like I said, while while I'm there, it's it's not a happy place. It's definitely four out of four uh, flippy pens. Uh, it's just so beautiful. Just such an artistic tour de force. I can't believe a human being sat down and created this. It's it's a modern artistic marvel. And like I said, I, I think it's books like this that I picked up that free comic book day issue and it sat in a pile with a bunch of other free comic book day issues that I forgot to look at. It's stuff like this that's so easily passed over that's sitting on the shelves at your bookstore that it's like, wait, no, you should stop and take a moment to go check this out. It's that good. It deserves your attention. Uh, great work. Give me more uh, soon. Okay. J.A., what's your rating? So I have to give it 3.75. Um, I agree everything Chad said about the art. Uh, Sator de Force, uh, the story is complex. It's nuanced. I mean, a couple threads that we didn't even get to or mention is, is 
Karen's best friend growing up who suddenly is is her bully at school and bullying her because Karen's friend's mom wants her to be a cool kid so she's hanging out with the cool kids and can't be in the monsters and this is the the little girl that Karen is now in love with is you know come out as gay and and Annika's uh, husband, the jazz player, who's drawn like the mummy. He's sort of the mummy character of of the monsters. What's his story? Was he there? Did he kill her? He gets drunk a lot because he's obviously broken up about his wife's death. Uh, there's all these recordings that his wife left that they're going through and listening to. Um, I just had to ding it slightly because it's incomplete. So... I look at it sort of like it's the Kill Bill Volume 1. You know that there's a Volume 2 coming, and it's not quite a complete story. It's not Godfather Part 1, which can stand alone. This just has a little too many threads left open or unresolved. I got to the end, and I was like, really? You're not going to give it to me? You're not going to tell me? Uh, So I I slightly have to ding it just because uh, I felt that... So much going on. They could. She could have resolved a, a bit more of the of the storyline. Right. Well, I, I think that if if you've noticed sometimes at parts of this show, we've struggled a little bit to to talk about this particular book. Just simply not only because of the the subject matter, but it, again, in terms of the art, it's hard to do it justice. Like uh, again, I'm going to give this a four out of four, just simply because to Chad's point, it moves the needle in terms of the comic medium so much that you owe it yourself to go and check it out. The the creativity, the artistic renderings of some of these images in that ballpoint pen and notebook style is just so original. And you're, and you're not going to get that with anything else that's out there. And I, I feel like it's the same feeling I got when I read things like Watchmen or Mouse for the first time or Asturias Pollock which we might cover on one of the shows going forward. These are not just comic books. This is comic book literature. Uh, This is what actually brings prestige to this medium that we spend so many hours every single week reading and talking about. These are kind of tomes that deserve to be on library shelves right next to some of the other great books of, of modern literature. And that's not to malign like your regular books that come out every month with Spider-Man or Superman, but these things are special. If my favorite thing is Monsters is special. And I feel like, although J.A.'s right, it's very, very incomplete. Uh, and there's a lot of threads here that are like, oh gosh, I wish they would do more with that. Uh, and to Chad's point, there's things that just give you the heebie-jeebies because you know there's this one scene again where... Annika, when she was little, was taken someplace with the express purpose of being killed in a human sacrifice, which is just, my God, like, that's that's not just human trafficking. That's like, I, I don't know, that takes it one step further. It's like, I, I don't even know what to do with that. But to see all that in this ballpoint pen with these masks and these demonic, you know, faces and, and her escape and... There are some really life-affirming points of this book. You know, Karen's coming out as, as, as a lesbian and, and at a time when, you know, that was even more difficult. I, I mean, there's great stuff here, and I think you owe it to yourself to read it. Probably one of the best books we've reviewed on this show, at least in my opinion. And other books that we're going to recommend and review are our recommendations. Always on the program, we give you other books that you can check out at your local comic book shop that maybe you'll enjoy as much as uh, my favorite thing is monsters. So Yeah, that's right. We like to offer up something similar, something that's recent or pretty recent, and then something out of left field or off the beaten path, out of nowhere, rando book. Chad, what do you got for us this week? So for this week, I'm going to tackle something that is more recent in nature. Uh, it's also something that in addition to, uh, my favorite thing is monsters. This is also a very adult book with very adult themes originally published by, uh, Gila March in, uh, from Belgium. Uh, it's called Carmen. That means so, it was done in French. It was translated from the Belgian. Well, I mean, they don't, don't speak Belgian. It's translated speak- from waffle <laughs> French. 
or Flemish. And so it was translated and released this summer through Image Comics in issue format. Originally, it was a, a graphic novel unto itself, all done in one. But it starts with a young lady committing suicide in the bathtub. She's visited by uh, a, a version of, of death, per se. Like, it's a young lady who has a see-through skeleton body and a, a regular young lady head. And they go and they explore some of the decisions that have been made and the art style. It's a, it's a beautiful art style. I, I will caution you, the, the main character does spend the majority of the book uh, naked, but it's not gratuitous in nature. It's really just a, a, an artful exploration of you know what what happens sometimes in these these situations that drive people to these points you know what are some things that were maybe mixed up along the way and it's it's also a very dark but beautiful story by the tail end and i don't want to spoil things it it wraps up and they, they put a, a a bow on things but it's definitely something that is worth checking out for our adult audience members it's called carmen by gillam march uh, translated into english from the waffles, uh, the waffles of Belgium, and so check it out. Well, I'm gonna uh, jump in next with a similar pick, and uh, I, I was amazed at how actually similar this book is, but how completely different it is at the same time. As I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, I found today's book among the young adult section at my local library, and it is called El Defo. It's by CC Bell. Uh, like my favorite thing is monsters. It won an Eisner award in 2015 for best graphic novel for kids between the ages of eight and 12. So it is definitely a book for children. So unlike my favorite thing is monsters and this Carmen book, if you are an adult listening to our today's program and you have kids, we're giving you a recommendation for those kids as well as yourself, because I enjoyed it quite a lot. Uh, El Defo is a autobiographical story of C.C. Uh, Bell's struggles uh, growing up being hearing impaired. Again, it's similar in some respects to my favorite thing is monsters because you have the main character feeling like an outcast, feeling like that, that she's different from the rest of the kids um, and how she kind of deals with that. But again, this is done in more of a manner that can be accessible to children uh, can tell, still tell some really great stories and, and, and actually kind of help us as adults be a little more understanding of some struggles. I mean, uh, some of the things that happen in this book that I was like, oh, gosh, like I didn't even think of that was uh, at times Cece, who uh, is just, you know, she didn't wasn't born deaf. She uh, developed uh, her hearing impairedness through uh, getting meningitis as a child. So around four or five years old, she uh, became hearing impaired. But you have this story where, like, she'll meet kids and she'll be afraid to stop being friends with certain kids that show her attention because she's afraid that she's not going to get other ones because of the difficulty sometimes communicating with other children or adults or anything and their lack of understanding of kind of her world uh, that she has to just put up with kids that aren't so great just because that's the only kid she's going to have as friends. And so she's going through these life lessons that no, she will eventually find good friends and be able to push back and stand up for herself when other kids run up to her and just start doing sign language in her face. Like, look what I can do. And she's like, I don't even know sign language. I don't know what this is. It's just stuff that I didn't even think of. Again, those kids aren't being malicious, but they're also being like, haha, look what I can do. And look how I different I am when all CC wants to do is just be treated the same and it's done in a wonderful cartoony style where everybody in the world is a cartoon rabbit again rabbits known for their big long ears and being able to hear well and the fact that you know cc's character cannot and she has to wear like a big bulky because it's like in the 70s 80s so she has one of those big bulky hearing aids that she has to strap to her chest and some she's trying to figure out how to hide it and hopefully people won't notice it and but she goes through all the same things that other children do not only finding friends but finding a, a, another young boy that she likes in in the neighborhood and 
how she deals with those feelings and even how, you know, adults treat her because of her disability. Plus, she's a superhero. She imagines herself as a superhero, similar to what Karen does is imagine yourself as a monster. They, you know, that kind of wish fulfillment stuff. It's a really, really great book, and uh, I would highly recommend it. All right. Well, you mentioned monsters, and uh, obviously looking at all those um, covers from uh, My Favorite Thing is Monsters got me in the mood to read some original monster comic books, and I found this trade paperback, which is, uh, I think it's like 12 bucks on Amazon, but you can get it also on Comixology Unlimited. Mummies, classic monsters of pre-code horror comic books. And so you're getting stories like Case of the Beckoning Mummy and The Unburied Mummy. If you grew up watching old Hammer production mummy and monster movies or the original Universal monster movies of Boris Karloff, this is perfect for you. And some just beautiful painted covers with mummies and damsels in distress that everyone looks like they're a, a, a Hollywood actress or a, you know, a horrible mummy, mummies like drooling and falling apart and has been wrapped and killed and of all the monsters growing up, uh, you know, all the sort of original Universal monsters, I always liked the mummies the best because it had that whole Egyptology thing going along with it. So you had the history and you had sort of the aura of the pyramids and the Sphinx to go along with a monster that actually is real. Okay, so Frankenstein is a creation. Dracula is or whatever. But mummies exist. There are mummies today. Now, do they get up and walk around? I don't know. That's why you have to read the comic. Plus, it's interesting from just a historical perspective, because, again, in my favorite thing is monsters. You get a lot of those horror magazine covers that Karen reads and, and is is all into. And uh, these pre-code comic books, especially the horror ones, the only reason there were horror magazines is because they had to stop making horror comic books. Because after the comic book code came out, you couldn't show things like vampires or zombies or things like that. Those kind of stories had to flee to a magazine so that they wouldn't be under the comics code. So this is an opportunity for you to check out some of that yeah. Golden Age stuff. And it is it is great stuff. And I, I should also mention, so it's put together by Craig Yo, who has been called like the Indiana Jones of comic historians. Uh, he used to work uh, for Jim Henson, and he, he's been at Nickelodeon. So in addition to all the stories that he's compiled, you have this beautiful introduction that talks about the history of mummies, the history of mummies in comics, the history of mummies in uh, like popular fiction. And, and, and Boris Karloff talks about, you know, tend to get these peaks of interest in Egypt and, you know, whenever, like, when Tutankhamun's tomb was unearthed, there's a big run on, on mummy books. You're not just getting the comics, you're getting this really nice his history as well of mummies in popular culture. Well, there you go. A great book to read as you gear up for the Halloween season. And something else you should do as you gear up for the Halloween season is make sure that you download... Tons of episodes of the Last Comic Shop Podcast. Again, what is better than handing out candy to kids this Halloween if you have the Last Comic Shop keeping you company? And you can do that by rate reviewing and subscribing to that myriad of places where our podcast exists. And you can find all those places on www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Podcasts, and a variety of other places. And all those links are available on our website. And if you do like our show, if you're listening to our show religiously, if you love our show for all of these great recommendations of indie books that you might have passed over, but now we're cluing you into, leave us a five-star review. Tell us that, yeah, we made a difference. We wouldn't have checked out My Favorite Thing is Monsters or Barry Windsor Smith's Monsters or comic book adaptation of Slaughterhouse Five or Paper Girls or the comic book history of animation. I wouldn't have checked out any of these books without The Last Comic Shop. I never would have read a book about Cleveland if it didn't have to for the show. There you go. Right. And, and then you wouldn't have known that the, the river caught on fire. <laughs> That's right. 
and the mayor's hair. If you want to talk to us about mayor's hairs catching on fire uh, or monsters or any of these other things, let us know some great indie books that uh, we might, might need clued into. You can always find us on the social medias. Twitter and Instagram, we're at Last Comic Shop. Facebook, we're at Last Comic Shop Podcast. And all that runs through our website. Once again, it's www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. And when you go to the website, you can also find a link to our merch store where we've got mummy wraps this week, apparently. <laughs> That's right. You can just get a bunch of our t shirts and you can cut them up and wrap yourself up in the Last Comic Shop mummy wraps for your Halloween costume this year i mean sure some of you are uh, maybe daddies but we can all be mummies this uh, <laughs> or yeah, yeah. Can, go, go go with uh you can you know here's an idea you you get a microphone you get a pair of headphones you get a last comic puck t-shirt go as a podcaster oh there you go there's a lot right, of let us- me get us out of this segment while we might be the last comic shop podcast we don't actually want to end up being the last comic shop so Go to www.comicshoplocator.com to find local shops in your area where you can find some great books that we were talking about today. Things like My Favorite Thing is Monsters, which I can't recommend enough that you guys check out. It's beautiful. You could find things like Gilla March's Carmen uh, with those serious adult topics, but that beautiful European art style. It's wonderful. You could find uh, potentially El Defo at your local comic shop. Uh, you know, something for the kiddies that's going to deal with those themes of acceptance, or you can go old school with the mummies, classic monsters of the pre-code comics, and see what kinds of craziness uh, abounded uh, before we introduce the Comics Code Authority. Uh, all that and more is waiting for you at your local shop, so don't be afraid to check them out. We're always waiting for you here at the last comic shop, so make sure that you tune in next week. Until then... I was the host with the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And remember to stay safe, stay sheltered, and we hope that your favorite thing is our podcast. Because we're going to keep on doing it for you, regardless of whether it is or not. (laughs) The last comic shop was a 2021 Black Angus production. 